we go. A couple other things. We uh, had an opportunity last night to do this before, and so this is actually our second time to do this, and uh, it is actually on the Sunnybrook website, or Facebook page, actually. And so um, we're going to try to mirror it, but it, it may go a little, little bit of a different direction. And so uh, so if you want to see that, and if you kind of want to go and hear it again, you can, you can do that there. Uh, the other thing is we, we actually went into the studio today and we did a, a podcast on what we're not going to get to tonight. We really thought we could even last night and we weren't able to do it, uh, which is a discussion about uh, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, two texts that for those of us who are followers of Jesus um, and recognize him as Messiah, really those two texts point to the prophetic elements of Jesus in terms of uh, what he specifically did on the cross, and we see that as the fulfillment of that. And so Uri and I went and into the studio today, and uh, we had 30 minutes. We, we did it in almost an hour, <laughs> but uh, we literally just kind of opened up our Bibles, and we just kind of shared how we read the text. And uh, that really has been our approach uh, to this time together. And so um, I want to just share with you just two things, and then oh, the two questions we're going to talk about tonight, um, we're going to converse about is number one, um, what, what, what do you believe, Uri? And then I'll share mine, but we're, I mean, let's be honest, you're basically here to listen to him, right? Yeah, I mean, literally, that's every, yeah, you don't, don't give me that look on your face. Yeah, they want to hear what Uri has to say, and I, I totally understand that. So we're going to, uh, we're going to hear what he has to say, and specifically these two questions. Um, so, uh, what, what do you expect in terms of the Messiah? Um, so who, who is the Messiah and what, who do you expect him to be? What do you expect him to be? Uh, the time in which he comes and he ushers in, what does that look like? And then the second one, uh, more specifically, is then, then who is Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus to be? And so uh, we'll, uh, we'll basically be looking at those two questions. Before we do, though, I think it's important, one thing that has been a joy for the both of us, is that you, you may or may not understand how uh, difficult... How difficult this conversation can actually be, um, and what I mean by that is, is that, for example, we, we've titled this uh, "A Jew and a Christian Have a Conversation About Jesus" or "Discuss Jesus," and it's just complicated because I don't pretend here for a moment to say I am here to represent all Christians throughout time and throughout the world today. That's difficult to do. So to say that what I want to do is share the Christian perspective, that's a really, really complicated thing. And so I, I don't assume to, to do that. So in some sense, I think I can explain um, uh, the, the traditional or the orthodox, or I could even have a conversation about different views um, that, that, uh, that different Christians have had throughout history or even throughout the world today about the Messianic age and about Jesus himself in terms of who he is. Uh, so I, I could speak to that a little bit, but I also have no problem sharing, and these are my own personal convictions about the Messianic age and Jesus. So I want you to understand we are both very aware that it is difficult for us to do that. And likewise, likewise, um, I, uh, the, the history of uh, this conversation is very, very long. It's not the first time that a Jew and a Christian get together in a room and, and talk about uh, the Bible and Jesus. Um, I do not represent the Jewish people. I do not represent a community. I'm not a rabbi. I represent uh, myself as a, as a scholar, as a guide. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a tour guide in the Holy Land. Uh, I've, uh, I've spent much time in study, and I've experienced traveling through the land with many 
uh, with many pastors and Christian groups, and the reflections that I'm going to share with you today are reflections that I've gleaned uh, from my experiences, and the opinions are on my own. So um, we, we might also talk about Jewish history and views that Jews have held over the years, different denominations or streams of Judaism, um, but uh, I don't want to pretend that I'm representing a Jewish collective. Um, what I'm saying today is mine and mine alone. Yeah, and, and yet, I, I promise you, he, he knows both the history as well as the Jewish culture today, so he can speak to that, and, and I think it's just healthy for us to all recognize that when we're talking with someone, we let them speak about their views, and, and not just even out of kindness, but out of a pursuit of the truth. So we can have a good understanding of what Jews believe or what Christians believe, but then we also allow Uri, who comes from this background, or Jim, who comes from this background, to speak as well. So we want you to know that. Uh, the second thing is, before we get into the, the meat of the discussion, is um, this is a, a rather strange conversation. It's a rather strange conversation. Um, specifically, uh, for anyone who is paying attention at all to anything on social media, um, there are so many... Uh, groups of people that are right now at odds <laughs> in our country and even around the world, that for two people to have divergent views on on important subjects, so what you believe is important to you, correct? Same to me. And it is actually, if we're going to be honest, it's rather strange for two people to sit down and say that we are uh, genuine friends, that we call each other brother, that there is a love that we have for one another. We are welcome in each other's homes. There is just a, a camaraderie that actually exists. And that is, to be honest with you, strange. Um, it's also strange that I am learning some new things. Um, and I love it. I always love learning. But uh, in terms of uh, our, some of our conversations that we've even had over the last few days, and I've, I've known Uri since 2014, that as he is describing ideas or beliefs that he has had about what he thinks Christians believe, and he was sharing a few with uh, me just the other day over at Panera Bread, and he was saying, you know, this is kind of what I've been, I've been taught that Jews or Christians believe about Jews. And as he is telling me this story, literally, I had not heard of almost any of it. And that was somewhat surprising to him. He was... Wow, I, and I was going, wow, I, I didn't even know I was supposed to think those things. I'd never, I'd never even heard of that. And a little bit of that is because of um, our American context as opposed to uh, the very strong European context um, where there's been a lot of, obviously, controversy between Jews and other people, particularly Christians. And so there's, it's, a, it's a rather strange conversation for uh, people of divergent views to sit down and, and love one another and have a very a decent conversation without, without name-calling and being very angry about, uh, about, about the topic. And then likewise, there has been some things that have been kind of surprising on your end. Well, the, the, the mirror image of that, because uh, the things that I was sharing with Jim is that, as I was saying, that this conversation is not... Is not a new thing in history. If you if you uh, if you look up uh, debates, and this this is not a debate. We're we're sharing ideas. We're we're having a discussion. But if you look up debates of between Christians and Jews, especially in Europe, under the uh, Catholic Church, uh, these are not um, <laughs> uh, these are not events that occur in a friendly situation. <laughs> usually, Jews are try to avoid these conversations because when they have their conversations, usually at the at the business end of a of a sword or or a pitchfork, and there's a there's a pyre out there ready to be lit. So <laughs> there's an inquisition. <laughs> that's usually that's usually when these this is the scenario. Yeah. When I when I was sharing with my friends and my family in Israel that I'm coming here 
to have these conversations, everybody raises an eyebrow. Um, because the, the, the historical experience and the, and, and the collective memory of Jews from, from these uh, encounters is not a positive one. Uh, and I was, I, was, I was truly moved and, 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 uh, and, and heart-warmed when I was explaining this to Jim, and Jim looked at me like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know these things. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that we come to a point that we are living in this time that we no longer, um, yeah. that we no longer have these things uh, uh, between us. That the, and we can have this conversation freely in a friendly manner. It was fun for me to to tell. I mean, just because I, in, in terms of what I grew up, and I, I bet you a lot of you can share this. I know Rachel uh, can. I love telling the story, Rachel. Um, I grew up in a in a family that really went to church. Obviously, loved the Lord. So that was my family. My parents came to faith, and they took Jesus seriously and taught us the whole story of the Bible. And so I always kind of grew up thinking that I was kind of like Abraham's long, long lost son, or great, 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 great grandson. And so I read the Bible, and it was kind of like, oh, I wish I was Jewish. I wish, I mean, I was circumcised, but I still wish I was Jewish, you know? And so one of these exciting, (laughs) exciting moments. Um, And then when we were having this conversation, actually in a staff meeting, Rachel actually said, I still remember when I was nine years old and my parents had to tell me that I wasn't Jewish and I was devastated. (laughs) Now, what's fascinating is, is that like Rachel and I kind of, and a lot of you even know what I'm talking about, right? A lot of you are like, oh yeah, no, who wouldn't want to be Jewish? That'd be awesome, right? And when I was sharing this with you, it was heartwarming. Like you were like, okay, like that's kind of not what I was expecting or, or, or what I was... Uh, it's what, what not was. been our historical experience, our collective memory. Yeah. And again, we're not, for those of us that have had that experience, we're not trying to speak for all Christians because obviously there's been a lot of uh, anti-Semitism and a lot of hatred and a lot of things. I just don't know how you get from this book to that, mm-hmm. Right. For for lots of reasons, to be honest with you, I don't know how we I don't know how we hate or attack anybody with this wonderful book, but particularly the Jewish people, and so it, that's been good. So recognize how strange this might actually be for us to have this conversation. Um, but since you really are probably more excited about hearing um, from Uri uh, on the topics of the Messianic age as well as um, as Jesus, I'm just going to kind of ask him that question, and then we want to hear from you. So. In terms of what a uh, um, uh, the, the the Jewish community, and, and maybe explain a little bit first of all, actually um, the, the the different types or kinds of thought, uh, and uh, even its cultural expression in terms of within the Jewish community. Because you said you don't speak for all of the Jews, but even within the Jewish community, there are different kinds of groups in terms of how they look at the Bible and how they uh, kind of deal with the culture. So so. Um well, first of all, you know, in, in Israel, there's a saying: you put two Jews, two, two Jews in one room, you get three opinions. Um, <laughs> so, uh, there's no, yes, there's no, there's no one opinion. There's no one way to be uh, Jewish. And if somebody tells you that Judaism says one thing, that's that's not true. There's no, there's not one thing that that is said. But if you, again, and I'm generalizing here, so please bear with me. But until the 17th, even early 18th century, Jews around the world pretty much adhere to the same creed. Uh, and if you would ask a Jew in uh, 17th century Yemen, uh, Strasbourg, um, San Francisco, or, or Beijing, uh, who are you? What are you? And they would probably have a similar answer. They are descendants of the children of Israel. Um, they have a covenant uh, between the God of Israel and the land of Israel and the people of Israel. They have sinned and therefore have been punished by 
being sent into exile, and they patiently await the arrival of the Messiah to redeem them and bring them back to their land and sovereignty. That is pretty much the story that you would get from Jews around the world. In the 18th century, we're seeing a shift, uh, usually uh, attributed to the Enlightenment movement and the emancipation in Europe, uh, where Jews are allowed to leave the ghettos and discard Jewish garb and go to universities and acquire jobs that until then the church for, has forbidden them from, from having. Uh, and Jews are mixed up with general population and in order to be more um, uh, assimilated into general population, the Jewish reformation is born, where uh, the Jewish leadership, the religious, religious leadership is telling Jews you can be Jewish at home and a man in the street. Right, so you don't have to dress Jewish, you can look like everybody else, you can shave your beard. You, they got rid of the dietary laws, they get rid of the, uh, of the Sabbath laws, so you'll be able to function within society. Uh, and it was a very, very popular movement. This is a, uh, it's essentially a secular movement, become culturally Jewish. Um, and it was so popular that many rabbis thought, this is, this is too far. Mm -hmm. Too many changes, too fast, stop the clock. Right, stop the clock, and so no more changes. And this is a, we're beginning with this is the birth of what we call the the Orthodox or the ultra Orthodox uh, movement. Those are the Jews you see with the with the curls and the and the hats and the and the, uh, and the black coats. Uh, they also wear the fashion of the towns in Europe where they went to, where they lived two and three hundred years ago. Now that's that stop the clock, very similar to the Amish, but not exactly, but. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, some Jews thought that, uh, that the reform movement went too far, although still the change is required. And so they became conservative. In, in Judaism, the conservative Jews are the liberal ones. I know, but that's just the way it is. So, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so, so, welcome to Israel. <laughs> so the uh, conservative Jews are, are uh, more liberal than Orthodox, uh, but still adhere to a, uh, a very specific law set of, uh, of, uh, uh, of rules. Um, uh, so we have reform, conservative, ultra-rox. In the ultra-rox, there's ultra, there's modern, because there's, there, are, there are Jews who are, adhere to the law strictly, but also um, go to university and have regular jobs and look like everybody else. Uh, and today there's also moon states of reconstructionist Jews, which are more cultural, civilizational. So that, that's in general the, yep. uh, the division today um, among Jews. Um, you from, are? So that, that's a very good question and a very hard to define myself. I'm somewhere between the conservative and the secular. In, in Israel, I would be considered a secular Israeli because I'm not observant. I'm not orthodox. I grew up in an orthodox home. But today I'm not Orthodox. I don't adhere to the law as an Orthodox which, Jew. And which but doesn't mean you totally discard it, actually. Correct. You're just not as observant. Like truly, right? Like Correct. you're not when you say you're not observant, you don't mean you discard. You mean you're not as observant. I don't I don't adhere to the six hundred and thirteen rules as they uh, appear in the uh, traditional Jewish texts. I uh, uh, a little bit more flexible on, on those things, but I am very uh, Jewish in my in my identity, in my uh, connection to heritage, to history, to the land. For me, Judaism is a national identity, uh, a peoplehood, a belonging to a peoplehood, and we can talk about that as well as uh, as the evening progresses. Um, but uh, so that's that's where I am when okay. it comes to uh, my Jewish identity. Um, as far as far as the the question of how do you, Jews define themselves from the 17th century onward, we're seeing a little bit of a change. In the messianic question, yeah. Right? So, so if uh, uh, if uh, until the Reformation, 
Jews are all, yes, we're, we're in exile waiting for the Messiah. What is that? What does that look like? Um, so there are also different answers. There are still people who believe that there is an individual, a, a man, that will arrive and liberate the Jews and bring them to redemption. Uh, many people thought that Theodor Herzl is a Messiah. He was one of the, the greatest Zionist leaders. He's the one that brought all the Zionist movement into a cohesive, political, effective movement and really envisioned and established the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. So maybe people viewed him as a Messiah. Um, there are those that believe that it's not a Messiah per, per person, per se, but a Messianic age. That the establishment of the state of Israel, these are the what we call the religious Zionist Jews uh, living in Israel, and also not only in Israel, but, but mostly in Israel. Um, they believe that today we are living through this Messianic age. Those of you who traveled with me in Israel, I often uh, look at the landscape and I read scripture. And they will be, there will be a matching between the scripture that we read, and many different scriptures, not just one from Ezekiel and Zechariah and Amos and, and Deuteronomy and it, many, many uh, uh, texts that we can read the text and point to the landscape and see, there it is. Like, the land is blooming. The desert is becoming a garden. The people have been returning. The ruins have been rebuilt. The prophecies have come true. And so, old people are on their staff. Old people I mean, are on the yeah. staff and yeah. children are playing in the streets in the Jerusalem. Loudly. <laughs> um, lots and lots of them. Yeah. So it's a, that's, that's, that's part of the Messianic age. The difficulties that we are experiencing are what they call the birth pangs of the Messiah. So this is the, the arrival, the beginning of the Messianic age, um, uh, and, and, and the prophecies of the Bible are, are coming true in front of our eyes with the establishment of the state of, the state of Israel. I'd have to say that these two things apply to a relatively small, small percentage of Jews today. The majority of Jews um, don't concern themselves on a daily basis about the Messiah. It's not a question that and, they, they ask themselves. And you're even a little... Yesterday you shared that, and then today, this morning, when we met for coffee, you said, boy, I hope they understood what I meant by that. Because you, you definitely don't want to discard. You don't want us to walk away and go, oh yeah, Jews today don't care about the Messiah or the Messianic age. That's not true. But I think we, is it not fair to say, in terms of our Christian upbringing, we think the Jews kind of wake up, the alarm goes off, and they're like, okay, top five things today. Number one, get dressed. Number two, look for the Messiah. So there's, there really is, right? Is that not true, though? We kind of have that there is a Jewish expectation, there is a Jewish uh, an eagerness, uh, kind of a looking for, let's kind of... You know, let's kind of just walk around. Are you the Messiah? No, probably not. Are you the Messiah? <laughs> so we we have we have that mentality, or at least I do. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I really do have like every Jewish person just can't wait until the Messiah comes. And uh, and 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 it's interesting that you say again, not that it's not on the radar, but you know, you could go a whole day without looking for him. Right. There are thirteen principles in Maimonides. This is number thirteen. Famous Jewish philosopher. 1200? 12th century, yeah. 12th century. So there are 13 principles. This is number 13. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so it's not... Uh, it's there, yeah. but it's not a main issue. And you're seeing it a lot today. I mean, and I'll tell you, I think it's good for you to even recognize just how different things have been in, say, the last 30 or 40, 50, 60 years. Um, when you go to Israel, they love to point out um, that all of these trees weren't here when we came. They love to say that. And, and then every person who's on the tour goes, like that tree? Yes, that tree. That tree was not here. We planted that tree. 
How about that tree? Yes, that tree too. And it literally, for two weeks, every... It's like I'm literally looking around the bus going, okay, why are you still asking? Yes, all the trees. Um, it really is. It's, it's kind of astounding in terms of desert into, like, garden. It's, it's, can I, can I it's, say something? It's stark. About, about 20 minutes ago, we sent a, a spacecraft into space, and it's going to land on the moon. Like, literally 20 minutes ago. Yes. Like what we did Just in the fifties. Like what 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 the what the Americans what the Americans did in the fifties. Okay, but I'm pretending to be American. And the Canadians haven't. If I can pretend to be Jewish, I can pretend to be American. Um. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty you know that's a pretty good clue. No, it, it, listen, it America, is. America, Russia, China, Israel. I, I, that, that I, I you're I'm, definitely I'm, better than Canadians. I'll take that. I'll you're take better that. than Canadians. <laughs> Um, but honestly, they, they really do see, they do see in the nation. You will see the Isaiah, or the uh, Ezekiel 37 text. Um, they see it happening in, in the nation, which would be different than a, a, a Christian perspective. So I can say mine rather quickly. Uh, the Christian perspective, obviously, of the Messiah is that God has, um, and I want you to even hear where we line up and where we agree. Okay, And I'm not trying to agree with my brother here, but how, how we agree. Um, I, we, we Christians believe that God has a plan um, that he set apart a man named Abram uh, that he told him that he would go to a land and that he would make him a blessing and that he would increase that nation um, with the intense purpose of blessing all the nations of the world and I believe we find that even in Genesis 12 and that from that from that from him that we have the, the birth of this great gift to the world, the Jewish people, um, and, and they wrestle with covenantal faithfulness like all humanity does for all of sin, right? And that we actually then see God's ultimate plan where a Messiah, a real person, comes to fulfill that. Um, and then we find out, and we'll talk about it here in a moment, we find out that when the Messiah comes, it's actually God incarnate. Um, and we begin to have a deeper understanding even of the nature of God as it unfolds before us. And so uh, we have in Jesus of Nazareth, um, God in dwelling among us in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's, it's, a, it's like hard to get our head around. I mean, I, I've loved how much Uri, as he talks about it, and he'll share this in a moment, how much I probably have just easily assumed, oh yeah, you mean the God-man Jesus? Okay, say that again. It's, it's really been good for me the last few days to just to be overwhelmed by the incarnation, but that's what we believe as Christians, that, that God put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. And for the Messianic age, that he is the fulfillment of the promise that we see, and he is the one that accomplishes what, what the nation of Israel or any nation could have ever accomplished. And Jesus Christ does the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of everything um, that God so desires um, uh, to, to, to glorify God and to accomplish the, the, the bringing of himself a new people, which is this bringing together of both Jew and Gentile. And that's kind of what the Messianic age really is. It's, it's, not, it's not a nation. It's not, it is a people, but it is actually a people that is, is, uh, is, is, is above a, na a national concept. It is the uniting of all the world um, in, the, in, the, in the glory and the adoration of God the Father and his Messiah, Jesus Christ, his Son. 
and he sends the Spirit to, to dwell in them as promised in the Old Testament. So notice how many times we go back and it was promised in Joel. This is what the promise have talked about, the prophets have talked about, and we see it unfolding in the in the first century after the life, death, uh, in, uh, life ministry, and then death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and the the teaching of, of Peter and the uh, the disciples and then apostles, and and that is that is in essence the messianic age. Uh, which will then come to it. So the, we live in it. And I get that that's a complicated question because there are times I wish I could see it like he sees it. Hey, look at those trees over there. But then I'm reminded that, you know, even what Jesus teaches is that what we actually see is that the kingdom comes and the kingdom is within you. It's not something that you can say, here it is or there it is. So this is what actually Jesus has taught, that this messianic age is actually in us. So we, we would look not even just at the kindness of one another, but just our devotion and our love for God, um, our brotherhood and sisterhood in this family, that is in fact the Messianic age. And that's how a, a Christian would answer that, would answer that question. Um, so, uh, there are some deep similarities, and, and one thing that has been kind of fun is uh, the roots, how much the, the both of us go back and, and find great joy in God's plan and purposes in the Old Testament. Um, and, and, we, and we share in that. And then there is, a, there is a difference. There is a divergence in terms of how we see the fulfillment of that. Um, in terms of Jesus, Yeshua bar Joseph. Yeshua bar Joseph. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeshua bar Joseph is Jesus, son of Joseph. So, um, and by the way, I mean, he is, uh, yeah, that's Luke. Anyway, go ahead. Share a little bit of, uh, of who I, you guess, believe Jesus to um, be. Who you believe Jesus to be. I believe that I, I believe in the historical Jesus. I believe that Jesus was a uh, um, a, uh, a scholar, a uh, very learned man. I mean, he knew at least four languages. He spoke Hebrew and Aramaic and Latin and Greek. He was well versed in Scripture. He probably uh, spent the many years of his life in a Pharisee school and a yeshiva and a seminary uh, discussing uh, Scripture. So I'll interrupt real quickly there. That that might surprise you a little bit. I don't know if I necessarily just. I don't know if Jesus was in that school per se, but I, I don't. I don't want to totally disagree with that statement because when Jesus speaks about particular issues, um, uh, specifically about divorce, he do, he does line up with a particular Pharisaical school known as the uh, known as the school of Shammai, and so he he may not have been under that rabbi per se like Paul and Gamaliel, uh, but what Uri is describing there is Jesus did line up very much when he would speak, although he loved to speak on his own, right? But he did line up uh, at some level under the, the, the Shammai school in terms of marriage and divorce, and he did line up. He believed in the resurrection, so he wouldn't have been on the Sadducean side. So I think, I think as Christians we hear, right, Jesus was one of the Pharisees, and we're like, no, he wasn't. He fought those guys. And the answer is sure, but there were fights even within the Pharisaical schools. That's right. They're, Just wanted to. That's great. Um, there are there are disagreements. I mean, uh, yeah. we talked about this today. There are many disagreements within the Pharisee schools that actually, by definition, yeah, by definition, uh, litigation. And today we have litigation in courts. The litigation starts in the study of Torah, right? So they're they're finding out the truth. They're arguing with one another. They're bringing proof from one another. There are there different schools. There are different rulings. Um, and uh, when I say that he, from a Pharisee school. He studied yeah, at the yeah. university, and he had he had to absorb all this uh, this information. Um, I believe that he was also a very radical in his opinions, and at a certain point, he couldn't find himself within the ivory tower of seminary. 
He had to go out to the people. I think that's what set him apart from other um, other scholars and other teachers of his time, that he actually engaged with the people. While they were talking about helping the poor, the impoverished, the weak, the widowed, and the orphaned, he was actually doing it. Mm-hmm. He was out there with the people, uh, engaged with them uh, uh, per- very personally. Uh, so that, that was a very, very uh, uh, a different way of approaching these things. And I think that uh, eventually um, his criticism, his very vocal criticism of the religious leadership, of the political leadership, and especially the Sadducees and the priests in the temple mm-hmm. and their desecration of the temple because of their corruption and because of all their wrongdoings, ultimately uh, led to his death. Uh, because uh, he was he was quite literally upsetting the apple cart, um, and he was uh, calling them out on their transgressions, and he was uh, upsetting the balance uh, of things. And so, uh, um, uh, the 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 linchpin or the, the threshold is also the threshold of of our discussion. Uh, the moment that he takes upon himself mm-hmm. the authority of a deity is the excuse that they were waiting for to put him on the cross, so to speak. Because that is an extreme uh, blasphemy, that is extreme idolatry. Um, and that is what ultimately led to his death. Share a little bit about, you, you mentioned this yesterday and it fit more because we were in a church. <laughs> but you, you talked a little bit about, like, as a, as a Jewish person, and even, you know, particularly your, your dad or even your grandfather, mm-hmm. to even go into a church is something that is, can, can be difficult. Explain that a little bit in terms of how that ties into who, who you and, and most Jewish people believe Jesus is and, and where we're specifically wrong on that. So this is the part of the complicated relationship that we have uh, uh, with the church. I'm, I'm always thinking, I you know, put Facebook 2,000 years ago, there's be the Jewish people, and there'll be a relationship. It'll be it's complicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Almost every one of my dating relationships. <laughs> um, the, the the idea of oneness of God is, is is of course the foundation of everything. Right? I'm the Lord your God. Should have no other God beside me. The very first of the Ten Commandments. Boom. It's right. It's like that's the beginning. The um, and 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 I often you know we all, we often have this conversation. Like, so, who is the Lord? Um, Jesus. Jesus. And so once you mm-hmm. make that, and I know there's the, also the, the explanations and the, yeah. and the Trinity, you have to go into a very, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I would say, complicated mm-hmm. and, uh, um, uh, and deep theological gymnastics to, one, to make this one, the Father and the Son, and, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, for Jews, it's a, it's, a, it's a very simple dichotomy. It either is or it isn't. And so a, a, a worship, a, a place of worship that has a person, and especially not so much in the Protestant church, but the Catholic church, the Orthodox churches, with this, a lot of iconography uh, and the image of Jesus on the cross and the worship of Jesus on the cross, the worship of Mary. Um, and again, remember that this is the experience yeah. of Jews for the first 1,500 years, yeah. right, until the Reformation. Um, and, and so it, the a church is actually considered a place of idol worship. Because the worship of Jesus is considered worship of idols because it's an image, it's an actual image yeah. and other icons, not just Jesus, other icons in the church. And so, because rabbis prohibit entering a, a house of worship uh, where there is idol worship, so even entering the church would be considered problematic. Um, so that would, that would have been on the yeah. historical, historical perspective. Which we, we love to say... Um, 
how much we share in common. Right? You know, we have the same book, most of it. Um, I, 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 would have, add, I would add one more thing. I'm sorry. No, that, no, that, that that most most Jews, um, especially Israelis who don't live in a Christian society, don't differentiate. Hmm. Like we don't we yeah. don't know to look at this brand of Christianity and that brand of Christianity and that brand of Christianity in different ways. Sure. We think they're all, they believe in a guy called Jesus who's the Son of God, they go into a building with a cross on it, that's where they pray, they're Christian. Right? And so it's kind of a lot lumping them in yeah. into one. Yeah, and, and in part, I don't, in part, there's nothing wrong with that. In part, there is a lot that we share even with Catholics and uh, Eastern Orthodox people, so it's it's not like we're completely different, even though our expression of that, or even um, our adoration of that. Last yesterday, when we had this conversation on the stage at Sunnybrook, you know, you look back and there is a cross. So even though Jesus is not hanging on it in in terms of crucifix form, like the Catholics might have, um, there is something about that that would be somewhat jarring for a Jewish person because yeah, what what are you doing there? Well, we're, we're celebrating um, the God Man use that term, the God-man Jesus, and we're worshiping him. To a Jewish, to a Jewish person, that's idolatry. So we might be confused by that. Hey, it's the, it's the same book, it's the same God. Um, and, 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 and they would say, well, kind of, but then you guys got it wrong. And it, it, is, this, it is this Jesus piece. And I, I think it's even good for us to hear that in terms of um, what, what it is that it, where, where, the, where the problem where the problem finds its root. And, and let's remember, this is again where we agree upon in terms of who is Jesus. Uh, Uri and I both totally agree that Jesus was in fact crucified for uh, the accusation of blasphemy. Like that's not, that's not, that's not wrong. No, actually I, I want people to believe that Jesus was crucified for the accusation of blasphemy. That he did claim to be God. Like as Christian people, we should go, yeah, yeah, he did. He did, actually. Um, that's even what you see in the biblical text. For what of these great miracles do you want to stone me? And Jesus, uh, the, 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 his, his, argu his arguers or his opponents say, it's not for any of these good things that you did, but you being a mere man claim to be God. And when Jesus says, I and Abraham are one, and they're like, they're, they're ready to lose their minds because how dare you, a man, make these accusations? <clears throat> And so we have to even appreciate um, where at least they're coming from. The question becomes, is, is the accusation true or not true? And if it is true, which is uh, definitely a Christian belief, um, the Christians believe that Jesus is, in fact, everything that Uri describes in terms of uh, uh, obviously very intelligent and very learned and all that 12 he's in teaching in the temple and um, he's doing all these amazing things and he is he is upsetting not only the apple cart but yesterday you had made reference to that to the to the uh, the tables in the temple like he is he's he is disrupting everything he is saying things where rabbis love to say rabbi so-and-so and rabbi so-and-so and Jesus says you've heard it said but I say unto you and Matthew records um, and he spoke as one with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So there's something that is fundamentally different about him. And where Uri and I um, really do, uh, as we tour the land, and I love, I love touring Israel with you, as we toured around and we're in Capernaum and we're in Nazareth on Mount Precipice and we're in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount area, um, it's really interesting to say, you know, what, what really separates so much is our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And I believe that Jesus Christ is all of those things, that he is fully man and that he is fully God. And that, that is a, that's, a, that's a major game changer.
for, for those of us who are followers of him, is that that is something that is an essential belief in terms of who we are. And so the statements, the accusations, I, this is why, we've talked about this, this is why I've, nev- I've never truly understood in my own mind um, how, because you don't, you don't see it in Paul or Peter, or, or definitely don't see it in Jesus, this almost like, you killed our Savior, so we hate you. It's actually, no, this was God's plan. Like, think about how the gospel presents it, right? It's, it's not that there aren't going to be consequences for that, right? But what does Jesus say on the cross? Hey, guys, make sure you pay these guys back for what they did to me. No, what does he say? I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting Greek word, uh, aphiomi, uh, somewhere between permit this to be or Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. There, there is something that is, is so much a part of God's plan. And so I've just never understood why there would be... Um, uh, kind of a, a a venom to be poured out upon the Jewish people for this, um, but there is also a major difference. That's the other part I will not deny. That Uri and I, in 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 one sense, just have 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 no agreement on this. Um, share with them a little bit. You talked about this yesterday, and uh, about things like because this is I, I guarantee they would ask this if not. So we might as well answer it now. We still have a little bit of time. Like what about like the miracles? So we know he's a good teacher, but. How do you explain? Like, what do you think about like the miracles that he did, and and how do they kind of fit into all of this? Because if he is, you believe he's a historical person, and so um, you you believe that he died on a cross. So, kind of play the rest of that out a little bit. So, th- yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so, here where it gets uh, here is it gets divergent between my own personal mm-hmm. opinions and kind of like a, a kind of a, a more broad uh, Jewish approach to these things personally. As a uh, as a person who uh, who studied uh, the, the Bible and, and and the lay of the land, mm-hmm. I, I have doubts about the miracles. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that Jesus was a a very proficient healer, um, that uh, he was uh, actually amazing at it, and that people came to him and were healed uh, by him. I'm also willing to go forward and go with you hand in hand to uh, his 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 being a prophet. A legitimate prophet uh, of God. Um, with miracles, I have my own struggles. Uh, not only in the New Testament, also in the Old Testament. Right? So yeah, it's not it's yeah. not a old new uh, um, thing. Uh, but regardless of what I think, from a Jewish perspective, we don't we don't take heed of miracles. Like miracles are great, but they're not the issue. And even if there were miracles, let's go with that. Right? I will agree with you that there were miracles. Where I can't go is yep. beyond the divinity line. Mm-hmm. So I can walk hand in hand with you, even up to the miracles. Yep. But once we cross the threshold into his divinity, into his divine nature, that's where I cannot go. Share with a little bit about, about how the miracles can't prove. Like, why can't the miracles in themselves take care of it? Why do you, where do you go to answer that question? You told me a little bit of a parable, a, a story. So, of... <laughs> there's a, um, the, 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 the story that, that, uh, that we talked about early on is a very famous uh, tract in the Talmud, which is a... A large corpus of uh, uh, it's a legal it's a legal record of a discussion in the in uh, in rabbinical uh, yeshivas and seminaries uh, and it's a discussion of a of uh, individual uh, of, of one single ruling about the purity or impurity of an oven it's a very mundane and unimportant <laughs> issue right? it's really unimportant but one rabbi Rabbi Eliezer says this is impure and all, see, sorry, he says it's pure. And all the other rabbis say it's not pure. And now they have a disagreement. So we said the ra- in, this, in the schools, there's disagreement. That's how they, but now instead of arguing and proving from text, 
Rabbi Eliezer says, I'm going to prove with miracles. And he says, if I'm right, let this tree jump up and, and go 100 yards. And it does. And the rabbis say, nope, we don't listen to a tree. If I'm right, let this water go up the aqueduct. And the water does. And the rabbi says, we don't listen to the water. If I'm right, says Eliezer, let the walls of this yeshiva, of this seminary, fall down. And the walls start falling down. Rabbi Yoshua stands and says, stop. And so, out of respect for Rabbi Yeshua, the walls don't come down. Out of respect for Rabbi Eliezer, they don't stand back up. So kind of the walls stand in the air. <laughs> we don't listen to walls, says, says the rabbis. If I am right, says Eliezer, let a voice come out from the heavens and say so. And a voice comes out from the heavens and says, the law is according to Rabbi Eliezer. And all the other rabbis says, from the moment that the Torah has been given in Sinai, we have the law. We don't listen to voices from heaven. Right? It's, not beyond, it's not beyond a mountain. Right? It's not beyond the mountain that you should say, where should I get it? It's not beyond a sea where I should say, how far should I go get it? It's right here with you. The story ends with a, uh, a rabbi called Nathan who meets Elijah the prophet. Right? This is the way of, uh, of uh, kind of concluding the story. He meets Elijah one day and he asks him, hey, I was at the yeshiva that day when this happened. What happened upstairs? Well, this was happening. How did God react? And Elijah says, well, God looked down and he smiled. And he said, my children have triumphed over me. My children have triumphed over me. And so this is the, this is the, the, the Jewish answer. Mm-hmm. By the way, it is not a coincidence that it shows up about this time. We're talking about the beginning of the 3rd century, right? end of the 2nd century. Uh, it is part of the polemic between Jews and yep. Christians of the time. Yep. Uh, and this notion that miracles are not the crucial issue. Right? So Jews adhere to the law. Let's figure out the law. The law is the law that was given in Sinai. It was given by God. God gave us the law so we will live by these laws, interpret them, expand them, reduce them, bind, loosen, in order to live by. Okay, It's not about the miracles. So that's helpful for us to hear. And again, he's not speaking for every person, right? But don't you see that in the Gospels? Jesus does miracles, and some people believe, and a lot of people go, it's not about... They didn't, they didn't want to kill Jesus because they didn't believe Lazarus was raised from the dead. According to John 11. They believed Lazarus was raised from the dead, and I, thought this, I find this fascinating. And at that moment, they determined that they must kill him. So it wasn't, it wasn't in, 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 a, in opposition or even in disbelief of the miracle. Um, and, and we would even share a little bit of this conviction, right? Like, we don't follow whatever anybody says if they can do a miracle, do we? Like, we actually even, we go back to the biblical teaching. That's something we actually share. So we were talking about this. Like, it's, it's not even the miracles themselves that draw us to worship Jesus. They offer, we would argue, they offer a degree of proof, right? But it's actually going back. Jesus keeps looking into the scriptures, and that's where Uri and I then get on the wrong, on, on different sides. One of us is on the wrong one, but we get on different sides. <laughs> on different sides. I mean, I, I, we have to be, right? You're on home court, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, in, in March I'll be in Jerusalem. Let's see if we can do this again. Um, but but there, is, there, there, is, there is that disagreement, and it really it, it, it does come down to, is Jesus 
as he describes himself and as he has been prophesied, is that actually even found in Deuteronomy? Is that actually even found as prophesied in uh, in the Old Testament? Is he a one that would that was promised to come like Moses? Is the one that that Isaiah spoke about? Is the is he the one that is is, to, is described in in Micah five two? Is is he the one? And that actually is more. As Christians, we need to hear this. That's actually more than the miracles. That's more than them. And Jesus actually said this. Hey, show us a miracle and we will believe. What does Jesus say? Oh yeah, because miracles actually is what I'm basing everything on. What does Jesus say? An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, and I will not give it a sign, except for the sign of Jonah. In which case he is describing his resurrection, and in a, and in a, in a similar account, when Jesus is describing this, this issue of the resurrection, I find it fascinating um, that he, he depicts in the parable in Luke 16 um, uh, this, this, this story, oh, send, send, send Lazarus back, and my brothers who, who don't know about this terrible place that I'm in, um, they'll listen to him. And Jesus says, they have Moses and the, and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And he says, well, they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, but if a man comes back from the dead, then he will listen to him. And Jesus says, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, then they will not listen to a man if he comes back from the dead. And Jesus made the same statement in John chapter 5. When he says to them, listen, like you want a sign or you want this or that. But the truth is, um, I, if Moses were here, he would, he, would, he would acknowledge who I am. And if you will not listen to Moses, you will not. So th- those were the words of Jesus um, in, that, in, that, in that original context, which it's, it's, it's been really a joy for me to, uh, to see Uri in that sense kind of continue on that, that same devotion and that same dedication um, to the Old Testament, to, in that sense, the Word of God. And then the question still becomes, you know, so what do we do with Jesus? And as a Christian, we believe that Jesus, um, we call him Bar-Joseph, or Yeshua Bar-Joseph, the son of Joseph. Um, that, that's a complicated statement, because in one sense, he was the son of Joseph, but we really know that, and as Luke records that, that there's something uh, incredible about how he came to be. And, uh, and, and that's what we believe makes him the Messiah, which is a little bit different. I think we're good on time. That's 48 minutes. You said 45. So um, we're going to give a little bit of a break so you guys can get up and walk around and stretch. And then uh, I guarantee you, you're going to want Uri uh, to answer questions. So you can come back and uh, ask Uri some questions, and, uh, and we'll be done tonight. Okay, so here's what we're going to do now. Uh, we're going to uh, be getting tons of questions uh, here that we are not going to be able to get to all of them, but we'll try to get to a number of them that I want to ask. Uh, questions you guys have had for Uri and Jim, primarily Uri, but uh, we'll, uh, I'll kind of ask some of those. Like I said, I'm sorry if I don't get to yours, uh, but I wanna, we'll throw out as many as we can. I recognize, actually, a lot of these, the question is complicated itself, um, because like this first one, what is the Jewish concept of grace? Uh, which I think is a great question, but I mean, like you said, there's multiple strains of Judaism. But as how, how would you describe that? Uh, wow, um, it's it's a it's a value. Uh, grace is a, it's a value. It's a it's a virtue. Uh, it is one of the faces of God. Um, it uh, but it is also a, uh, a value that must be earned. And again, this is this is about the yeah. law. Yeah. Right? Judaism is about the law. Uh, and and again, you're right because I'm not an Orthodox Jew, so how can I be talking about the law if I don't adhere to the law? So what's that about? 
it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> but but for, for observant Jews, the idea of reward and punishment, of adhering to the law, um, is not about grace. Uh, it's, 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 you, you need to earn your way by virtue, not by grace. Um, there are, and the law is what enables you to navigate through life in order to get to the right place in the eyes of God. So the judgment day, which we have an annual judgment day, uh, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, tenth day of the of the seventh month, um, is the day that uh, is that's reckoning day. And so you have you have you have your whole year to spend in adhering to the law, and if you not, there's a process of repentance, um, of uh, of of forgiveness, and by the way. Uh, there are transgressions that you have done against God, God will forgive you. But if there are transgressions against another human being, God cannot forgive you. And there's, no, there's no way for you to, to jump the fence uh, towards salvation, towards forgiveness in the eyes of God, if you didn't make peace with your friend against whom you've transgressed. And going back to Scripture, that's one, that's one of the issues that made Jesus stand out. Jesus forgave sin. That's a no-no. Okay, in unless the eyes, in the eyes of the other Jews, unless he's God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, correct. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Unless he's God. Yeah, yeah. Only God can forgive sin. Yeah. And so, so this is when Jesus takes upon himself the responsibility of a God. That's where people yeah. are saying, "Oh, whoa, yeah. whoa, something's different about this guy." That's great. So you actually mentioned this one guy I had. You mentioned Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. What is like for the Orthodox Jewish people, like? What is the position? Because that centers around a sacrifice taking place within the temple. Yeah. Um, at least in Old Testament stuff. So, what is the position on like sacrificial, the sacrificial system since so, the destruction of the? So temple? once once the temple is destroyed in the year seventy A.D., there's no more sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Right. So and and so actually the major, most of the Jewish uh, subdivisions or sects or denominations that existed during the time of the temple will disappear. Right, only two groups of Jews will survive the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple was a calamity that we still mourn today. 2,000 years later, you think we get over it? 2,000 years, we haven't. It's still a calamity. It's still being mourned every, every year. We read the Book of Lamentations. It's, it's a very, very tragic day. Mm-hmm. Only two groups of Jews will survive the destruction of the temple. These are Jews that had found an alternative to the worship of the temple. So one group are Pharisee Jews who found an alternative to the temple by replacing the sacrifices with prayers. Rather than three sacrifices daily, there are three prayers daily. Right? So the development of prayer as a form of worship occurs only after the destruction of the temple. So synagogues, it's, we look around you and you Jewish communities, there are all sorts of synagogues parallel to churches. We think of that at the same as... Synagogues at the time of the temple were not used for prayer. They were used for many other things. Uh, very important social elements, reading, teaching, life cycle events. Jesus visited synagogues, as was his custom. He stood up to read. Lots of things happened in synagogues, but not for prayer. Prayer is a replacement to the worship of the temple. So Yom Kippur is a day that there are the three prayers, but two additional prayers. Okay, because of the additional sacrifices that were made at the temple, including the fifth prayer, which is the only day of the year that we pray five times, uh, which is parallel to the final um, the uh, uh, the lamb that was taken out to Azazel and thrown out as a sacrificial lamb. The other group of Jews to find an alternative to the temple are the Judeo-Christians, for whom salvation was no longer through sacrifice in the temple, but through the belief in Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so these are the two Jewish groups that will survive the destruction of the temple. Um, this is actually, I, I got a question. Uh, what is the perspective on mm-hmm. Judeo-Christians, Messianic oh. Jews, mm-hmm. in, in Israel amongst Jewish people? Like, what is the perspective on that? Um, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, because this is what... Uh, uh, um, uh, it's a very, very small group. And it's a group that uh, is not very popular yeah. uh, in, in, in Israel. In, in general, the attitude toward proselytization and uh, evangelizing towards, or Jews feel that evangelizing towards them is, is not welcomed uh, whatsoever. It is a very difficult position to be in as a, a, to be a Messianic Jew. Because once again, I've, I've, I've explained, if you, are, if you are a Jewish monotheist, and there are a lot of Jewish atheists, by the way, because <laughs> Judaism is the belief yeah. in one God or less. But <laughs> uh, um, but if you are a uh, Jewish monotheist, then uh, it's a it's a it's a contradiction in terms uh, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, not just Savior, but as Lord, as a representative of God, because you have this multiplicity, which is impossible to reconcile. Uh, so it's a relatively very, very small group. Um, they are, they exist in Israel. There's a small community of Messianic Jews. Um, um, you know, some of my best friends, <laughs> uh, my neighbors, I have uh, neighbors who are Messianic Jews, and uh, um, I, I work with them, and I love them, and they're, uh, and they're great people. But as a society in, in Israel, they're not, um, they're not extremely open and wide and, uh, and reached out to. Um, Explain this for a second. You, you know, you mentioned this idea that this man claimed to be God that doesn't sit well with most people, especially with monotheistic Jews. How do, and I don't know if you were speaking on behalf of just Uri or if you were speaking on behalf of a predominant amount of Jewish people when you said that Jew, Jesus, you consider Jesus to be a prophet and a learned man, but how, how do you bring together a prophet making blasphemous claims is it a, a, do you see him as like a prophet who went too far? Or, or would you go and say, I, I don't know if Jesus actually made those claims? Or how do you hold those two things together? A, a good man making, uh, coming as a prophet, but also claiming blasphemous things. So, so there will be different approaches to this, to this question. Um, they, uh, what, what I, so, so to clarify what I said, like I am willing to go hand in hand with Jim and with you on Jesus as far as his divinity, yeah. So okay. So but to the point but, but, of yeah. And, and so and so we can we can we can go two the ways. We can say either Jesus made the claims about his divinity, and then I'm, then I'm I, you know I yeah, I'm, letting I'm, go, I'm letting go, or we can also say, and some Jews do say this, he never claimed these things. Mm-hmm. Right? He never actually intended to go outside the Jewish faith. He never claimed to be God. These are things that were attributed to him by by his followers. By his followers in order to create a new stream or a new direction of the faith. That was never his own intention. So you'll find both of these approaches among people who study the, the, gotcha. the New Testament. So would like your perspective be good man who said a said some really wicked things towards the end when he started claiming deity? I, I don't know to answer that question. Um, um, but I, I can talk to what I know. I don't know... I don't know what I don't know, right? So yeah, this, uh, yeah. this, this, no, is a, yeah. this is a known unknown. Um, uh, I, I, I accept or believe in the historicity 
of Jesus as a scholar, as a teacher, and like I said, a healer, definitely a healer, healer, and I would willing to go even up to the level of prophet, but I'd not, not be on that. Okay. Uh, this one's for both of you. Uh, how would you both answer the proposition that we believe what we believe because of our environment or upbringing or sociocultural surroundings? Like, you're a Christian because you were raised in a Christian home. Yeah. And you, you are not a Christian or you follow Judaism because you were, you're from Israel. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you answer those? I'll, I'll go first. Um, I would say that I get what you're saying, but then that doesn't really apply to people that Uri knows that are Messianic Jews. Uh, my parents were not believers in Jesus and are now believers in Jesus. I know a lot of people who grew up in Christian homes and they are terrible, terrible followers of Jesus to the point where I'll let God be the final judge, but I see no fruit in their lives. So I, I get what they're saying because I think we can all kind of believe, yeah, well, the only reason why you're that way and the only reason why I'm this way is because of my family. And then I would just say, well, then how do you explain, um, I'm trying to think of, I can think of a lot of people, I won't say their names. I just, how, how do you explain that? Like, how do you explain that? So it's, it's got to be more than that. It has to be a tremendous more than that. So I really hope that as a, as a parent, my wife and I have done a good job raising our kids and that faith is something that we have shared with them. Um, uh, I, I definitely believe that there has to be a work of the Spirit in them in order for them to even see these things. Um, so I was asked yesterday, and it stumped me. Uh, someone asked me, like, why do I believe in Jesus? And I just, I, I don't know if you guys were, any of you were there, I just sat there for like, I felt like 20 minutes just going, because uh, I'm trying to trace that. And like, I don't know, it don't, wasn't don't get me wrong. Minutes, it was like a few seconds. Well, it seemed like forever. Like it, because I think it's a great question. And it's not that I, be, I don't believe, I do believe. But what is it that causes that? What is it about the text that Uri and I look at the same words? And it just comes out and it screams at me. This is who Jesus is. And and Uri is going, yeah, I don't see it. And I'm going, how do you not see it? Right? Or vice versa. Right? I have no problem with him going, how do you see that? And I'm going, I'm going I just don't see it, man. I don't, I don't see it. So I think that there is a cultural element. To deny that would be crazy. Um, if that is the case, then everyone who has parents who are Christians are Christians. And, and we all know that. How many of you would go, I totally believe that? So, I mean, honestly, let, let's say whoever wrote that, I get where they're coming from. Think about it just a little bit longer and you'll go, oh, actually, I don't think that. Because people do change. People do change their minds. So I would even challenge you, don't buy that. Like, don't buy that you're a Christian because your mom was. Be grateful for the faith that maybe she has shared with you, but maybe the Holy Spirit has done a work that, that is, is bigger than that. So... I have to say that I have to say that I, that, that I agree completely. I mean, I grew up in a. Uh, I I don't. My life today is not the same as my parents. My my parents are are Orthodox Jews. I'm not an Orthodox. I mean, I, at a certain point along my life, I deviated. You're Orthodox-ish. You you asked for your bacon on the side. I did. I know. I just didn't ask for my bacon. I asked. The, and by oh, the way, no, hold on, hold on, for the record, for the at rec- Eskimo Joe's, the waiter went like this. What? <laughs> So on the for, side? To set the record straight. It I, had never happened at Eskimo Joe's before. For the record, I asked to hold the bacon. Yeah, that's true. We said bring it and we'll you eat it. That's true. 
He asked. He asked for it let's, to not be let's there. Let's be accurate here. It, it was sweet pepper bacon. It was awesome. <laughs> Love um, Mark Seven. So so uh, I. <laughs> I do believe that they are, we talked about this uh, earlier yeah. this week, I do believe that they're goalposts. Right? I do believe that our culture, in my, in my academic background, <laughs> I did my thesis on, on identity and, and national identity, so I also believe in, 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 in linguistic determinism, sat by fourth hypothesis, never mind, that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. um, so this whole idea of, of, of language and languages mm -hmm. and culture, that, that sets the goalposts, right? So, so your goalpost is what you see. The language that you speak determines the wor your worldview. Different people, different languages have slightly different goalposts. So I do, be I, I, I do believe that there's a, an element to that. St actually strongly believe that there's an element to that. But within that goalpost, there's a whole wide range. Mm -hmm. There's a very, very wide range. And I, and, I, and I share Jim's call, like, don't take anything for granted. In the old days, 2,000 years, or 1,000, 300 years ago, you were born into a family, I could, I could, anybody could tell you what you would do when you grow up. Mm-hmm. Because that's what your family did, and that's what your father did, and that's what your mother did, and you would be a carpenter, or you would be a, uh, a farmer, or you would be a cobbler, or you would be what, because that's what you did. Our family names are our jobs. That's no longer the case, and it's not just in vocation; it's it's in everything. So so, uh, uh, question and 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 ask and uh, and find and seek and find answers that suit you. If all religious ideas are enculturated. Right? Then how would we have any more than one religion? We could. We'd only have one. So we there is a development that happens either by the divine or, or even by culture. So I don't know how you'd explain it. It'd be like, oh no, we all believe the same thing because we're all kind of from the same family. Ultimately, trace it all back. So I, I think that it's it's an overstated it's an overstated statement, but I, I see what they're saying. Yeah. Right? I've, I've asked that question a million times. Um, Uri, what is the Jewish concept? had a number of questions towards this. What's the Jewish concept of the afterlife, mm -hmm. and, and who gets in? So We love that question. The, yeah, I know you do. I know you do. I'm, 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 I told you I was fascinated by yes. your preoccupation oh, yeah. with the afterlife. Oh, my goodness. I um, love it. So... so <laughs> You know, they, they, they really asked uh, Israelis, how are, in one word, how's everything? And says, it's good. And in two words, not good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great so, line. So, so here's the thing. Uh, there, they, the, the, um, uh, there is a concept of the afterlife, right? So Jews do talk about reward and punishment in, in the afterlife, right? Especially concerning the question of how is it possible for, for bad things to happen to good people and vice versa. So this is a, a question that, that scholars grapple with throughout the ages. If the world is just, if God is just, if, every, there's, a, if there's a sense of justice in the world, how is it possible that bad things happen to good people and vice versa? So the answer is that the, there's an afterlife, right? So the afterlife is where things will be, will be set straight, will be corrected. So the, the concept does exist, but the the uh, uh, it's not a heaven or hell in the way that is often depicted in um, in Christianity. Uh, and here I I'm, I know I'm generalizing because there are also different uh, opinions there. Um, and I maybe I can illustrate with a story. I told the story last night, and I think it's worth it's worth repeating again. Elijah the prophet is showing up in this story. Uh, the, the, one of the rabbis in the Talmud meets up with uh, Elijah and asks him, "So tell me, what does it look like?" What is heaven and hell? And Elijah says, instead of me telling you, let me show you. And he takes him to 
a room, which he says this is hell. He walks into the room and he sees lots of people who are, who are starving and are angry and are frustrated because there's a whole table laden with the best foods and delicacies in the world, but they can't eat to it. They can't get to the food because they don't have any elbows. Their hands are like this. They can't feed themselves. Right, so they, they're sitting there and it's, it's an exercise in frustration. It's eternal frustration. That is hell. And then he goes to the next room and he's going to see heaven. Uh, and he walks in and he sees the same table with the same food and the same delicacies and all those wonderful things and everybody's sitting there without elbows but they're so content and they're happy. And the difference is that in the he- heaven room they feed each other. And so it's the relationship, it's the kindness that they show to each other which fulfills their hearts and their, and their existence. That is the Jewish heaven and hell. Okay? But again, it's not. It's just a concept that, that was depicted. Um, so, so again, so there is a, 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 a thought of an afterlife. Uh, of course, like I said, the, the, the atonement, the day of atonement, it's about atonement here and now. Right? So one of the most important prayers uh, in, uh, in Yom Kippur is, it's called, uh, it's the, it's I love the, when he does this. I just kind of get all giddy. So who, know, who knows Leonard Cohen's um, Who by Fire? Who by, you know what I'm talking about? No? Yes, thank you. Okay. So there's a very, very famous Leonard Cohen song, Who by Fire and Who by Air and Who by Sword and Who by Water. Um... That is, that is essentially from the Spirit. These are the, all the different ways that you might die if you don't atone for your sins. Uh, it's kind of gruesome. But, uh, but that's, the whole, that's the whole point. So there is, there is reward and punishment in this world, there's reward and punishment in the afterworld, but it's not something that we constantly are talking about. And I, I would say this, too, um, and you can tell me if I'm... If, if this is all you have, right? So that's the Old Testament, the first 39. If this is all you have, your view of the afterlife would be different than if you had this. So it's it's a little bit of the yeah, book, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's. I love to tell Christians, you know. And uh, by the way, I don't even think that means they contradict. So I'm not going. I'm not going wild because yeah, they're they're completely di- no, they're not. But we believe in progress. As Christians, we believe in progressive revelation, where there is something that is from here that is fulfilled in here. That's what we believe. And so, but if if you want to go back and go, how do you not get that? I mean. You, you spend tomorrow reading Genesis through Malachi and have a special piece of paper and write down all the afterlife stuff. And then you bring to me a virtually empty piece of paper and we'll have a conversation. And I won't say empty, but there's not as much as most Christians would actually think. And so that your, your, book, your book will shape you. I, I think it's very interesting. I'm going to think long and hard about how you described grace. Your book will shape you. Right, how you understand kind of how things fit together, and so that that actually, when he's describing that, I'm going, yeah, I can see that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, for those who do, for those Jews who do still hold to like a a personal or individual Messiah, um, uh, what would they say is the reason they don't choose Jesus as that? Like what? What is it? Jesus did not do, or All did right. do that? That's a, thank you for that question because we we actually that we should, okay that was a very important talking point that we didn't actually get to. So the um, uh, the Jewish Messiah is yeah. a political figure. 
Okay, he said, that's why I said that a lot of people thought that Herzl, Theodor Herzl, who was a simulated Jew, Theodor Herzl was so assimilated he didn't even circumcise his own son. Right? And, and he was a Jew that believed that the way to solve the Jewish problem is to cease being Jewish and be like everybody else. Right? Uh, Anti-Semitism, the hatred of Jews, is what made him realize that that's, not, that's an impossibility. And so we have to be just like everybody else as a nation state right? and go back to the idea of, of Jewish nationalism. Um, so, so, so the, this this idea of of a Messiah is to fulfill certain criteria. On. And if you read, I mean, there's a, there's I have a, I have a list of of, of twenty things that uh, the Messiah is supposed to fulfill, uh, and and many of them have to do with uh, with peace on earth and animals and and uh, uh, sheep lying with a lion and ingathering of the exiles and the redemption of Israel and everybody speaking uh, a similar language and worshiping the same. There are lots and lots of different criterion, but the majority, the main ones, uh, um, talk to the Messiah's role as the Redeemer of Israel, and that will liberate Israel from its oppressive uh, neighbors or whoever is ruling them, and independent sovereignty, and bring to a, 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 a independence and a physical sovereignty in their land. Right, so. So that is the role that is ascribed to the Jewish Messiah. It's essentially a political, even military role. Jesus fulfilled neither. Right? And, so, and so from the very beginning, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you were telling me, hey, see that, see that yeah. guy over there? Yeah. Yeah. So he's doing this, he's doing this, he's yeah. doing this, I think he's the Messiah. And I'll say, wait a minute, Romans are here, I feel their boot under my thing. Uh, the, no, it's not, it's not work. Sure. No, move sure. on. Right? And so, and, and so, so Jesus does not fulfill these uh, uh, these criterion, and so he's overlooked for that role. Today, there is actually—I mean, it could be a little esoteric—but there's actually one group that does believe their leader is the Messiah. He's buried in Brooklyn. They're waiting for him to rise. Um, it's a it's a it's a group. It's a it's a Hasidic group called Chabad or the Lubavitch. City court. Um, they're very the most known for going out and proselytizing to Jews. They proselytize to Jews, not outside the Jewish faith, and they'll set up offices and emissaries, much like missions, all over the world to provide uh, kosher food and religious services to uh, He could Jews. call them and they would provide him Sabbath meal. <clears throat> They'd come up from Oklahoma City and have a meal for him on, wow. sat, on, on Sabbath. Yeah. So, so this th- weekend from Oklahoma City. So this yeah. is so this is the one group that I can that I can point to that have this that have actually a person. Yeah. That they're looking for. Uh, they're waiting for him to rise. But even within this group, there's today also division. Maybe not. Maybe it's not him. Maybe we should move on from that and find us another somebody else. Um, so that's that's essentially the uh, yeah. the long answer to your short. Can question. I add a quick thing? Sure. Here's a quick thing I would add is that again, yet once again. Um, in so many ways, when when Uri is describing that, and I and I think about, I've, I've heard people talk like that, like that's what Peter said to Jesus, that's what happens in John six when they try to make Jesus king by force. There, so that that the the view that you have and the view that the Jewish people have today is the same view that the first century Jews had. 
And it's the same obstacles. They're not different obstacles. It's the same obstacles that Paul had. And the reason why Paul persecuted the Christians. It's, it's what Peter didn't get. It's, and, and Jesus had to keep confronting him. It's what the crowds didn't understand. And Jesus had to keep having that conversation. So I, I really... The triumphal I, entry. The triumphal entry. It's yeah. like, oh, Hosanna, you're, you're coming and you're going to liberate us? And Jesus is like, no. And they're like, okay, well then crucify him. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, you, you wonder, like, how do you go from that? And it's, it is a, a constant thing that it's coming up, okay, this is what we expect the Messiah to be. And what I would say Jesus says is, is that like that's not for you to decide. Like the Messiah isn't something you decide. The Messiah is something that, that is decided for you. So the Christian response to that is that if I were to say, well, hey, well, then the Messiah is going to be a Miami Hurricanes fan. By the way, his dad got a PhD at the U. But Miami's going to be, he's going to be a Miami Hurricane fan. He's going to be, he's going to be, you go, well, why, who, why do you get to pick who the Messiah would be? Well, because. Um, now, they would say it's found in the book. So yeah. let's be honest. They're not arbitrarily picking us. Yeah. But Jesus had the same, the same conflict and that same, that's, it's not a new thing. It's not a new struggle. It's a it's a consistent struggle that we see in the Gospels and and we see in the you Book can of Acts. See, I mean, you reference you can see why Peter would in one <laughs> totally. verse say Jesus is the Messiah, and in the very next verse when Jesus says, "And I'm going to suffer and die," Peter goes, "Stop talking like that. That's yeah. not that's not what a Messiah does." You so don't get Messiahs, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, but truly, that's. I, I, can you hear it though? Can you just kind of get that sense? I mean, one of the things that I've loved about my brother is he can not only make the land come to life. But even as he describes his faith, he can make much of the the gospels, yeah. even in terms of that reenactment. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, okay, no, no, I see where that's I see where that's coming from. Yeah. And so the whole the whole conversation comes to life again for me. So, um, I'll ask. Uh, I think I'll, I'll do one more, and then uh, and we'll we'll close out. I'll kind of preface it with this. Uh, so today I'm I'm talking with an agnostic friend actually, and we're talking about uh, belief and my own belief, and and you know I just kind of mention this thing like I think the the one thing I, that if I was able to see that Jesus did not rise from the grave if if he did not resurrect I, I would have to go mm. like I don't believe this this is in accordance with first Corinthians 15 like if Jesus didn't raise from the grave your faith is futile all those things um, so here's kind of a question somebody said I think is really interesting what would what would it take for you Uri uh, to switch your belief to like believing in Jesus, is there a thing that like if this happened, question. if this happened, I would I would believe, or if this is there a thing, I guess. So so, um, I, I'm realizing that this is now a a, a question which is question. I actually never considered this question uh, for myself because the the answer is that there isn't. Um, it's outside the goalposts, mm-hmm. right? Of, of of my of my of the way I look at the world. Uh, and that's something that's also very important to understand. A tradition, historically, evangelizing towards Jews is, has failed. It's very, and, and it's failed not only when you came with lots of genuine love, it also came when you came with non-genuine love. I would and, argue it's not designed to work that way. Right, so it's, yeah, fa- right, so totally. it's failed because, because the concept of, of Judaism is not just a faith. Right, so, like I said, there are a lot of Jews who are not religious, who are atheists, but they're still very, very Jewish. Judaism is a much larger construct, uh, anywhere from a civilizational construct to a, I, I define it as a covenant of, of a people, a land, and a God. Um, 
uh, a tri covenant. Uh, some would say it's a it's a it's a culture, it's a heritage, it's a uh, it's a it's a construct which includes faith, but it's not only faith. It's not like saying okay, so a Muslim can switch their religion, and a Hindu or a Buddhist can switch their religion. It's not just switching out a religion. It's taking out this huge mountain. Of, uh, of heritage, of, of knowledge, of history, of memory, uh, and by becoming Christian, throwing that away. So, so that's, that's, a, that's an impossibility. Um, that's number one. But I want to add to that, that that, that, is, that does not exclude my brother Jim here continuing to teach and furthering and expanding his church. Because I don't need you to become Jewish. I don't, I don't need any of you to become Jews. Jews don't need others to adopt our faith. I believe, and this is just me, Uri, talking now, that there is a, 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 a trajectory to, to history. That God has begun the work with creation, continued it with the Jewish people as the vessel to bring forth ethical monotheism to mm-hmm. this world. Um, and the, va- the set of values. And, and, and to understand that, you have to understand the radical uh, um, uh, difference or change that our shared values, right? The, 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 the mosaic laws, the mosaical ethics are different from the surrounding people of the time of two and three thousand years ago. Um, the Jewish people were the vehicle to bring the world, the, to, to the world, this word. Um, they failed. Right? They failed. They failed because they rebelled against God. They failed because they sinned against God. They were punished for it twice. Uh, many believe they still are being punished for it. Right? So, so exile still persists, although the establishment of the state of Israel is the beginning of the days of redemption. But ultimately, what succeeded in bringing God's word to the world is, is Jesus. Right? And, so, and so I believe, I believe, that by being a good Christian, you are actually fulfilling God's word, no less than me and my people being good Jews. And this idea of, 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 of Jewish roots and being grafted into the tree is, is so central to, to my belief system uh, because the roots need to stay their roots. The roots cannot become the tree or cannot become the graft. Otherwise, there's no point. Okay, so I, rather than seeing us as Contradictory, I seeing us as complementary. Uri, I want to thank you for coming and spending the time with us this evening. I don't know. Um, I, I think, honestly, people seeing we had a lot of people here. And so, <laughs> dude, we're, we're really grateful for you guys here. We don't usually do the clap for the people thing, but um, can we just tell him we're thankful for him? I asked, I asked, that, that same question was asked yesterday, and I asked Uri if, like, if we were walking, like, on a road to Damascus, <laughs> and then a light, a light from heaven came, and a voice spoke, and he was blind. And I said, and I think that if we're on a road to Damascus and a bright light shows up in the sky, it's too late. <laughs> too late. It's orange jumpsuit time. Uh, Jimmy, would you would you mind would praying us out tonight? I'd love to. God, I'm thankful for this time and for what it can accomplish, and I'm grateful, God, that even as we, um, as followers of Jesus, and uh, as our our friend and brother Uri 
someone who uh, acknowledges you and loves you, I, I, I commit all of this to you. Uh, Father, we are not here um, as, uh, as, as, as some kind of, a, I guess, a judge or a jury. We leave that to you. Uh, Father, we just we thank you so much for the truth that we find in Scripture, and we uh, even thank you for the strange and difficult conversations that these uh, can actually uh, just demonstrate uh, a, a deeper, I think, a very true understanding of you as the as the God of all, and uh, and that Father, um, that there is something that you do delight in when there is peace. Um, so, Father, you know that uh, Uri and I both care deeply about you, and we care deeply about um, our understandings of these things, and I just pray that, Father, um, for lots of reasons, that we would continue to pursue you, a deeper understanding of who you are. Uh, Father, I thank you for this room, and uh, Father, for those in it, I pray that the words that we have said would be used for your glory, for others' benefit, and for our joy. Uh, So we commit this time to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.